Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. You can learn more about detox at MyersDetox.com. And on this show, we talk about everything related to heavy metal toxicity, supplementation, detox protocols, and lots of different topics, and especially important, how toxins are contributing to your health issues and diagnoses and what to do about it. Today we have Dr. Chris Shade on the show. He is an expert in mercury toxicity and heavy metals testing and has an amazing line of supplements called Quicksilver Scientific. And I've been following his work for a very long time. I'm very privileged to have him on the show today to discuss the top reasons that interfere with detox ability and heavy metals testing pros and cons. But we're going to be talking about all kinds of things. And if someone has inflammation, poor bile production or poor liver function and stress, they're going to have a reduced ability to detox and may encounter problems when they attempt a detox. So we talk about that in detail. We'll talk about heavy metal tests, pros and cons, and why testing for different types of mercury is important, termed speciation. And also arsenic has different species of arsenic that are problematic, some not as much. So it's important to do tests that differentiate between the different species. And we'll also talk about why the heavy metals tests given by medical doctors show no or low heavy metals, what's termed false positive results, and why this is not possible. It's not possible to have no heavy metals in your body. And we'll also talk about why you need to improve bioflow and production as the first step in detoxification, top nutrients to optimize liver function, Dr. Shade's detox system explained in detail and how IV chelation can harm your kidneys, but it still has its place in detox to save lives. So we explain all that and much, much more. This is such a good podcast, really key for all those uh, people that really want to get down and dirty on the, the science and very detailed explanations that someone uh, like Dr. Chris Shade can explain. And I know you guys listening are really concerned about detoxification. And so I created a quiz. It's a very, very simple quiz. You don't have to spend a lot of money on testing, uh, but this quiz will help to determine what your relative levels of toxins are in your body. And so I developed this quiz based on some of your lifestyle habits that you can take and then get some a free video series which will answer a lot of questions you have about detox, like where do I start and what other things can I be doing to limit my exposure to toxins. I have a great free video series after you take that quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com. So go there, take it, and you'll get the free video series. Our guest today, Dr. Chris Shade, specializes in the biological, environmental, and analytical chemistry of mercury in all its forms and their interactions with sulfur compounds, particularly glutathione in its enzyme system. He has patented a mercury speciation diagnostic test to analyze human toxicity, founded the only clinical lab in the world offering mercury speciation analysis, and has designed cutting-edge systems of nutraceuticals for detoxification and antioxidant protection. His Quicksilver delivery system's nanoparticle technology increases the bioavailability of supplements and protocols, leading to higher efficacy products. Dr. Shade is is regularly sought out to speak as an educator on the topics of mercury, environmental toxicities, neuroinflammation, immune dysregulation, and the human detoxification system, both in the United States and internationally. He has helped professional athletes, children with autism, patients with chronic immune disorders, and more. And he strives to evolve the way the medical industry delivers care and he is perpetually broadening the way the world understands health through detoxification. You can learn more about him at quicksilverscientific.com. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm very happy to be here, Wendy. 
Yeah, I'm so excited to interview. You know, you are one of the, the top people in the detoxification sphere or realm, really reaching millions of people about the importance of detoxification. So why don't you tell us your background and how you got so involved? Uh, yeah, I, you know, you really got to go a long way back. I was an uh, organic farmer before I was a chemist, a PhD. And I had gone to school in uh, environmental chemistry and I got kind of disillusioned after a year or two in there. And, uh, and I was looking for a more impactful way of dealing with people's health and the environment. And so I started looking at the food supply and uh, organic farming and creating a, creating a cleaner food supply. And I did some work in that. I, I joked that I went out of the business the year Whole Foods came along. It was a little early for the game. Nobody wanted to pay so much money <laughs> for clean food. They're like, yeah. well, let's spice the price of the regular stuff. But now they do that routinely. Uh, uh, but the, the one thing led me to another, and I was doing soil research, and uh, and then I went back to school. I got a master's around uh, sort of pollution chemistry from agriculture, and then when I went to get my PhD, uh, I found a guy who was really smart who was working on global mercury cycles, and so it was environmental chemistry as metals as toxins. Uh, in this general format of understanding aquatic chemistry. And so you'd look at where metals come from, how they change forms as they go through the environment, how do they build up in organisms. Uh, and it was very sophisticated uh, understanding of metals. And I built a testing system while I was there that and patented it. And it first uh, started my company applying it to environmental testing, but then my goal was to jump back into looking at people. And so I jumped back into testing metals in people, and that was what we called the mercury tri-test. And it used this technology I developed called mercury speciation. It was, a, it was a, a technology for separating different forms of mercury. So you could differentiate mercury that was coming from dental amalgam versus mercury was coming from the fish that you're eating uh, or from the vaccines that you're getting. And that was really necessary at the time I came into the clinical uh, toxicology realm. They were really fumbling about, they didn't understand different forms of mercury. They had a slightly barbaric form of testing the mercury, the challenge tests. And in their detox, all there was was chelators. It was like uh, metal toxicity was this uh, you know deficiency of chelators. And uh, they didn't understand that there was this whole way that your body dealt with these things. And uh, even in the academic world, we had that, you know, fairly well worked out. Uh, and so I came in offering testing, and then I saw very quickly that I had to offer a solution for how to get the metals out. And uh, as with most, pe most people like me, you do it all on yourself first. And so I had all these dental amalgams. I had 17 amalgams in my mouth. Uh. And <laughs> it turns out I only had one or two cavities when I got them all out. Most of them <laughs> Yeah, so. and there's a lot of dentists putting things in their uh, face. Oh yeah, they're, we, don't, they're, we don't need. They have to, you know, pay the bills too. So I always be joke that they're very giving. Every time you go there, they give you something. You never learn. You never leave with an empty mouth. And, no, uh, no, you don't. Every time there was a crack, he'd drill it out and he'd put amalgam in there. It was called the sealant. And uh, now they just paint some epoxy on there. And so I got, I got these all taken out in one fell swoop and I started taking chelators, got me all sick uh, because I was trying to force all this stuff through my kidneys. And, you know, in the depths of the, uh, the dark night of my biochemical soul, uh, I was going to functional medicine lectures here in Boulder County and I would see Nigel Plummer and Bob Roundtree back to back and they were talking about the GI and, uh, and GI pathways. And I'm like, God, why am I trying to force stuff through my kidney? I could probably take it out through the GI. And that led me to develop out a system that filters through the liver and GI tract instead of pushing everything through the kidneys. And yeah. that fixed me in no time at all. And then I was off and running developing detox systems. And that's sort of taking the front line, whereas the testing is still important, but the detox systems are more important. 
Yeah, and I'll ask you about chelation at the end of our talk so we can just make some distinctions because a lot of functional med medical practitioners are one trick, one trick ponies where they're only offering IV chelation yep. and it's there's much safer way and inexpensive ways to do that that don't make you sick. So let's just preface this conversation first with giving me a rebuttal to medical doctors that think that detox is BS or our bodies detox perfectly fine on their own. I want to know your take on why people need to detox today in order to be healthy and why we need to support our livers in that process. Yeah, well, that, that's a mainstream medical thing. They've been trained to have this whole, like, here's your symptom, here's your drug. They've never been trained in functioning of the body. So they don't have any idea of the relativity of the function. By relativity, I mean that one person can have a highly functioning liver and one person can have a under-functioning liver. And the only way they see that is, oh my God, you've got fibrosis and cirrhosis. Now it's under-functioning. And if it's not cirrhosis, then it's perfectly functioning. And so they're missing the whole uh, genomics and the SNPs and that relativity. And the even bigger overlay on it is a sort of epigenome. And that's and it's more than epigenome where we methylate or, or, or demethylate genes and, and turn them on or off, but things that are turning down the functioning of our detox system. And the most fundamental thing that turns down detoxification is inflammation. So now everybody's on board with this inflammation causes all these diseases, but they're missing all the literature around the fact that inflammation blocks detoxification. And to understand that, you just have to see that inflammation is a pro-oxidant thing. You know, if you're inflaming uh, in response to the presence of a bacteria, you're going to try to kill the bacteria with pro-oxidant compounds. Your macrophages and all your immune cells are going to make hydrogen peroxide, hypochlorous acid. They're going to throw pro-oxidants on these. And when they do, they're going to turn down the antioxidants. And all the detox system is in the antioxidant system. And all the literature's out there to show this. You know, the uh, endotoxin, your primary inflammogen, it's coming from leaky uh, GI tracts, uh, is contrary to detoxification. It turns it down and it makes a toxin that's say two units of toxicity on this arbitrary scale it now the toxin plus the endotoxin and its associated inflammation now makes it eight to ten units of uh toxicity and all the literature's out there but they're just trained in this very quick they're harried they're overworked and they don't want to think about the mushy gray zone of where all of our biochemistry really is. Yeah, it's a lot of work to to learn all this stuff. And a lot of doctors, I think, don't want to take their weekends or do extra training yeah. or they don't get any benefit necessarily. Uh, no, I, they've gotten sucked into that insurance model where they got to see a different person every 10 minutes and they got to prescribe a drug or two drugs or three drugs on every visit. And that's what turns this over. And then the standard of care is buoying that up. And so as long as they're doing that, they're giving you two or three drugs, they'll never be sued. And the insurance company will reimburse whatever they do reimburse. And they're just stuck on that treadmill. Yeah. And to get out of it, it takes a lot of time. And then you go into functional medicine, and then you realize you got to spend a whole bunch more time with each patient, but that's where it's all got to go. Yes. Yeah. And then when you go to your medical doctor, when people listening to this podcast have some, you know, insight, oh, maybe heavy metals are causing my symptoms. They go to their medical doctor. The doctor does a typical blood test on their patient. And so tell us what are the drawbacks? What are the problems with checking for heavy metals with the conventional medical tests? And how is your blood test very, very much different than the conventional uh, blood test that's covered by insurance for most people? 
Yeah, well, there's two things. Uh, one is your reference ranges and what you consider toxic or non-toxic. And, you know, the medical world's all built up into this, where's the flag, you know? And so when the lead is above this level, the flag goes off and you freak the heck out. And if it's below that level, and it could be 2% below the flag level, and you're like, what? There's no problem. And so having a more refined and subtle look at what levels are and what they mean and how, well, I've got five of them in a pretty high percentile, but not flagged. This is a big problem. Uh, and then there's, for certain metals, there's what's called speciation, what form of the metal. So for mercury, there's two main forms of mercury. There's inorganic mercury that you're getting from the dentistry. And there's methylmercury that you're getting from the fish. And then there's the fish form breaking, that's called methylmercury, breaking down into inorganic mercury. And so, but in the end, you only have methyl and inorganic mercury. And in, in the blood, blood's really just, without speciation, it's showing the methylmercury. And so if your mercury source is from eating tons of high mercury fish, you'll flag high on a traditional blood test. If it's more from the dentistry, you're not going to flag high. Your urine might flag high, but that's only if your kidneys work. So your blood can build up this big reservoir of inorganic mercury. If your kidneys are damaged, it's not coming out in the urine. You're not seeing it there. So it's totally missed. And, uh, but when you do the speciation and you look at the two forms individually, and they both have their own reference ranges, and they're like 15-fold different where the 95th percentile is. Now you see, oh, wait, this one's building up. It's not coming out in the urine. This is a big deal. And the total mercury, which is what they look at it like a quest, hasn't gotten that high. And so you need to separate out different forms. Arsenic will be the next one that we separate out because there's one form of arsenic that's a lot worse than some of the others. And, uh, and so having that refinement of it is a really important thing. Uh, so for mercury, you need to look at blood, urine, and hair all together with speciation to get a good picture. With the other metals, you need blood, but these reference ranges that they have are more like, wow, now you're going to die toxic versus like, well, we got to think about this toxic. Yeah, and that's my biggest complaint about heavy metals testing, uh, is, besides yours, the mercury speciation, is the lack of differentiation between some level metals that we need a little bit of, but too much is toxic, and the different forms that can be toxic or not, like you mentioned, arsenic, and all, only minerals as well. There's forms of minerals that we need, and some levels and forms that are very, very toxic to us. So like the copper. tests today don't show us that. Yeah, yeah, like copper and manganese. And so there's an ideal range. There's, oh, now I'm deficient on copper, and now I'm excess on copper. I'm excess copper is freaking crazy. Well, it makes you crazy. And then there's manganese. And there's deficient on manganese. Now you can't make a lot of your superoxide dismutase enzymes. Then there's excess manganese, and that's associated with a lot of the Parkinson's disease. The welders who, who are these manganese rods, they get these crazy manganese toxicities and have terrible neurological problems. Yes. Uh, selenium, too. Deficient excess. There's, there's so many. It's, it's a sophisticated world. And all you need is a good testing partner being a lab that's giving you ranges that says, this is too low, this is too high. And one of the things that were, where things went kind of sideways is all that challenge testing using urine reference ranges for unchallenged urine. And when you take a chelator, certain levels, uh, a, bunch aren't, a bunch of metals aren't touched at all. And certain metals are very rapidly drawn into the urinary flow and boom, you go way over the, oh my God, I'm over the reference range. I'm, you know, I'm off the chart. You know, everybody's off the chart when you take it off chelator. Yeah. And so it's a chart <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Urine. And so then, you know, the square medical world seized on that. They're like, well, that's kind of fraudulent. And it's like, yeah, it's, and, and so that should have been done differently. And it's all about relativity. When is it too high? When is it okay? What about three or four metals that are all pretty high, but not really high? Are they synergistically toxic? And that's the conversation that has to be had. That's a sophisticated conversation. And, and I think another problem when people go to their medical doctor to get a blood metals test, one, it's only testing four metals, the big four, you know, arsenic and mercury, lead, and cadmium. And that's typically going to be false negative, where almost always the tests are going to register as not being toxic because the 
you know, the body will sequester these metals away in different tissues and fat tissues and other areas. So they're not always going to show in the blood, even if you uh, have them in your body. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, let's unpack that because there's a lot of mythology around that, even in those statements. Uh, the, the blood is always in a certain equilibrium with the rest of the body. Now, you can have inflammatory states sequester. And so you can have a tissue like, let's say, the thyroid. You have thyroiditis. You have inflammation in there, and it's going to sequester. And so its levels are going to be higher relative to the blood than a non-inflamed organ. And so there are these places where you sequester. There are you know, emotional ways that you hold things in certain areas, and they're probably associated with uh, autonomic uh, function causing inflammation or hypoperfusion into those areas. Uh, but it's not like the blood's not showing anything. It's all hidden away from you. There's this idea that the blood only shows for a couple days, and then it all goes into the tissues. And that was kind of made up because when you take a bolus dose of a metal in, it will be really high in the blood for a couple of days until it distributes into the tissues. But then it'll be in an equilibrium with the tissues. But the reference ranges are, the problem with reference ranges is that they're showing uh, a place in which somebody's decided that's where things are dangerous. And that's where things are dangerous for you know, 95, 99% of the population. But there's 20% of the population where everything is much more dangerous at a lower level. And so bringing down those reference ranges. And, and so like uh, for mercury, people use 10 PPV. And, uh, you know, we are, you know, the 95th percentile is more around 7 PPV. And do you really want to wait till you're at the 95th percentile for mercury? And so we have, uh, even the EPA says, well, at 5.6, here's where we start to get uh, advanced uh, risks for birth defects in women. And so here we're way below the 10 already. And then even the guys who developed that said, well, you know, that's too low for people with high resistance and it's too high for people with low resistance. <laughs> so uh, knowing where you are, you're not just flagged or unflagged, but I'm at this percentile and teaching the doctors, here's where I start to worry about things. Here's where I really worry about things. And if this is in combination with a high copper, now I'm really going to worry about it. And starting to create a decision tree like that. Uh, and because if we, you know, you go into the whole like, well, it's all sequestered. Well, then what are you going to do? Now you're going to the challenge test. Now you're believing this falsehood that the challenge test goes into the cells and takes this hidden amount out. The only time that that happens is if it's stuck in an in a organ or around a nerve plexus and you go in and you go in and do neural therapy with DMPS and you find some area where inflammation was hiding a larger amount. Doing systemic DMPS is just taking whatever levels in the blood and putting a multiplier on it uh, by, by flushing more out to the key letter. And then it's only if the kidneys are working because the same transporters that normally move metals out are required for the DMPS and DMSA conjugates. So we got to get away from the mythology that systemic chelator shows you a body burden. All it does is put a multiple um, on the urinary levels that were in there already. Yes. Yeah. And so I guess my point was is that when you go to the medical doctor and ask for a test, that uh, it can show false negatives because their yeah. their references are too high, and that's the bigger one. Yeah, yeah, and you may have to have had had a recent exposure to to register on that test when it's it's in your tissues, it's in your body, um, and also chronic low levels of heavy metals are a huge problem. You don't have to have this acute no. level if you have dozens of of metals at low levels causing yeah problems. yeah Mo multiple chronic ones is a big is a big, big deal. Yes. Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about um, maybe some of the top reasons that interfere with someone's ability to detox. So there's, we know there's a certain part of the population, they have impaired genetic ability to detox. And these people can have a tendency to build up toxins in their body, which 
ironically makes them more and more sick. And so I think probably feel like the sicker uh, someone is, the more likelihood they have of toxin buildup or inability to detox. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe if we we broke it into uh, three bins. All right, so you've got genomics, and I'm making sure I like how this looks because we're making this up right now. Uh, but this is, you know, an evolution of 20 years of talking, yeah. you know, so this could be something very good. All right, so you've got genomics, you've got inflam inflammation, let's just call it inflammation, and then you've got autonomic state. Okay, so uh, genomics, like this is what people like to go after because uh, it's very reductionist and so we like that in our reductionist thinking. And so the genomics, like say you've got the best genes and that gives you 100% capacity for uh, some aspect of de detoxification. And you know, if there's 10 aspects, you got 10 genes there. And so uh, say glutathionase transferase. I've got great glutathionase transferase genes uh, that, you know, the SNPs are just the normal, uh, best function, I got 100%. And then you've got, uh, you know, if we just take one of them and I've got a heterozygous mutation and now I'm down to like 80% function. And then I've got homozygous, you know, two bad uh, copies and now maybe I'm down to 70 or 60% function. Uh, and so there's a there's a relativity there, and that's a relativity that's a good one to start with, with the medical world because you can't deny it. You know, it's got all this research around it, and you can measure the damn genes. All right, and so that's one of the relativities. Now we go over inflammation. So inflammation and detoxification are polar opposites. Inflammation is prooxidant. Detoxification is part of the antioxidant activity, so you turn it down. So when inflammation's up, detoxification is down. Now, how much down? In some of these uh, animal studies where they, you know, beat on these things and jack, you know, jack in endotoxin and turn up inflammation, you see as much as a 60% drop. So you could be down to 40%. And if you're 40% from the inflammation on top of 60% genomics, you know, now you maybe you're functioning at 20 or 30% of, of your maximum. All right, so inflammation is coming. Now let's use our, like, our villain here of an inflammagen is endotoxin. And so endotoxin are little pieces and parts of bacteria that get into circulation and your immune cells are very good at recognizing these cell membrane parts and thinking, oh my God, there's E. coli or there's you know, some, some bacteria in circulation, like a septic type of infection. And so they wind up inflammation. They even invoke different genes that let them get to the highest levels of inflammation to kill what they perceive as an intense threat. And so where do we get endotoxin from now? Biggest source is leaky gut, so GI permeability. But any locus of inflammation, that's why in the German biomedical uh, approach, they talk, uh, talk about toxic foci, focus of, of toxicity. And these are usually infectious things. And so this would be like a root canal infection, a cavitation or jawbone infection, a sinus infection, or you know, a more common infection like a UTI. So those are all dumping endotoxin in. Oh, and my favorite sort of new discovery around that, but it's like, of course, duh, periodontitis. So yes. periodontitis is associated with this huge inflammatory burden. And now they're, con you know, because they had con connected periodontitis with heart disease a long time ago. And they thought it was like from treponema. Treponema is a, like a, uh, it's a spirochete like Lyme is, and it lives in, in bad gums and it gets into your blood vessels and it kind of drills these holes into the blood vessels. But the endotoxin, the endotoxic burden is what's really generating the long-term cardiovascular difficulty. But now they have correlation between periodontitis and depression. And what's depression? It's an inflammatory disease of the brain. All right, so inflammation, endotoxin, put that in that middle bit. And then we have the autonomic bit. 
And there's a lot of crosstalk between the inflammation and the autonomic pin. But what's the autonomic pin? Autonomic nervous system. What are your two poles? You have sympathetic and parasympathetic, right? Sympathetic is fight or flight. Sympathetic, uh, parasympathetic, rest, digest, repair, regenerate, detoxify. And ideally, we're kind of going back and forth like this. Oh, my God, there's something there. I've got to do it quick. You know, it's not just threat. It's not just, oh my God, there's a tiger coming out of the woods. He's going to kill me. I got to deal with everything. But it's just, I got to do something. And, you know, all day long, I got to do something. And then, all right, I'm done with the task. Now we're parasympathetic, right? And when we got to do something, we're sympathetic, there's a prioritization change. So now we deprioritize all of the parasympathetic stuff, all the regeneration, all the digestion, detoxification. And we prioritize the musculoskeletal and brain activity of dealing with it or running away from the tiger. And so if you're constantly in sympathetic drive, you're constantly deprioritizing detoxification. And so if we let our mind stream and our daily activity, our routines get habituated into always being afraid of the thing that's going to happen and always being on like this, we are constantly deprioritizing. And there is this reflexive mechanism between that is it's working through a certain neurotransmitter called the glutamate receptor. So the sympathetic, parasympathetic uh, yin-yang balance is mirrored in the glutamate goblet balance in the neurotransmitters, which constitutes 80% of the neurotransmission in your brain. It's the, uh, it's the inhibition of the GABA or the excitation of the glutamate. And glutamate, when it hyperfires, starts creating anxiety and brain fog, which are, which are pathologies in the sympathetic side. Now, they have a reflection in the liver by shutting off bioflow in the liver. And when we talk about how detox works, we're going to see how Proper detoxification is intimately coupled to bile flow because the bile transporters, and this shutting off a of bile is not locking up the gallbladder. It's happening in the cells of the, hepat the hepatocytes, the liver cells, in their transition as they release bile into the bile canaliculus, little rootlets of the bile tree. And so there's a, a block from the sympathetic that locks that movement of bile. And the transporters that move bile also move the toxins. So as soon as you stop moving bile, you stop moving toxins, you get this cholestasis, and then the liver eventually dumps its toxic load back into the blood and recirculates the load. So when we're stressed, we're locking up bile flow, we're locking up detoxification on autonomic prioritization and physically on the liver axis. Yeah, and stress is probably one of the biggest, the, the, the most uh, lowest hanging fruit and the things that we can address to improve detoxification. Yeah, um, but stress, we, is, stress is the sympathetic lock. Yes, yes, exactly. And that prevents us from detoxification. And there's so many stressors acting on us that I think people don't realize. People don't realize they're stuck in sympathetic mode, that mm. their bodies are always in this fight or flight mode. And so it's with nutritional stress and with EMFs and electromagnetic fields and Wi-Fi, and there's just so many different stressors acting on people that prevent detox that I talk a lot about that people need to address, including emotional trauma and things like that. And so let's talk about uh, why we need to assist our livers to detox today. Um, what are some of the top nutrients to facilitate liver detox? And what does it look like for you in an ideal world to support the liver? Yeah, so you need to couple, so there's this thing called the phases of detoxification. And this that's this chemical system of handoffs of these these activation of a of a toxin linking it together with one of your biomolecules that's like a chaperone for it, and then putting it through a transport system. But the the end of the transport system is dumping it into the bile. And so you need that bioflow, and you need these, these winding up uh, reactions. And so you need to couple the phases to the bioflow. And a lot of people just look at stimulating the phases, but they don't look at coupling that to the bioflow. And stimulating those phases, when you take something like lipoic acid that does stimulate those phases but doesn't stimulate bioflow, it can stimulate uh, 
the action of detoxification, not just in the liver, but in the rest of the body. And it'll start mobilizing toxins, but it won't connect it to the path out. So I, I want to uh, first ensure that the, the bioflow aspect is supported, and we support that with bitter compounds. And a lot of this is traditional now, uh, traditional herbology. So traditional compounds like gentian, dandelion, uh, solidago, we use a lot of myrrh, which is traditionally used in Ayurvedic medicine, and I like importing that in with the traditional Western herbs for the bitters combination. And phosphatidylcholine is one of the key parts of proper bile flow because it's being pulled into the bile all the time to thin the bile out and to blend with the bile salts so the bile salts don't dissolve the canalicular tree. And so PC and bitters is the key to that. And then we can upregulate uh, aspects of those phases with uh, things like lipoic acid, uh, silymarin, the dandelion also works on the phases. But at the same time, we need to control some of the inflammatory reactions. The immune system gets really unsettled in a toxic environment. It has a certain psychosis where it's hyper uh, reactive, it's allergic to foods, the mast cells are firing all the time, yet it's ignoring things like the viral load. And so the things that we use for that would be like diindolyl methane, uh, Crestin, luteolin, those are mast cell stabilizers. The diindolyl methane uh, shifts the immune, the Th dominance towards T regulatory dominance, which is a immunopacifying dominance. Uh, DIM is, has a lot of functions way beyond what people associate it for with estrogen. And so it unlocks uh, a certain blockage of the liver. Uh, it's a blockage of the NRF2 pathway that you get from mold exposures. So it re, you know, it sort of uh, restores the functioning there at the same time. It's stabilizing against this reactivity. So, uh, so you're, you're winding up phases, you're stabilizing the immune system, coupling it to the drainage of the liver, the bioflow. Then the last step is to come in with binders because once all those toxins move down there, they hit the GI tract, they irritate the GI. Many of them are of a chemical nature where they just reabsorb. Methylmercury, for example, has about a 95% efficient reuptake mechanism. And so the binder, if you couple this all together, wind this all up, dump the bile, and you know, half hour to an hour later, go in with the with the binders, you catch all that load that came out and you have a really stable yet really powerful detox. We call that push catch. And in fact, there's aspects of those that uh, activate uh, part of your cardiometabolic mechanisms. Uh, so what's called AMPK activation that burns off the fatty accumulations that are in the liver too. And uh, so it's not, when you're doing this right, it's not just moving toxins, it's also bringing up cardiometabolic clarity. Uh, it's increasing autophagy, which is eating old dead cells and stimulating their renewal. So there's a whole renewal aspect for the liver, which is a faster renew if you give it the right triggers. And so when we do it this way, you know, we see fatty liver clears, liver stagnation, bile sludge, bile stones, the whole thing clears up and there's this metabolic clarity that comes with it as well. So that's yeah, my vision. Yeah, so you have a line of amazing supplements called Quicksilver Scientific. So let's connect each of those phases you just discussed sure. with the specific products you employ to, to help the different phases of liver detox. Yeah, and so uh, we'll talk about the different products that do that and then the protocols that put all those products together yes. uh, and some of the products where it's all mixed together into one thing. Uh, and so uh, where it's all mixed together in one thing is our push catch liver detox. And we have multiple aspects in there. In fact, we have the bitters. So, so we have bitters number nine and bitters X are two bitters formulas, especially if you really have a bile problem and it's affecting digestion, you can have that as a standalone. 
uh, but it's also in this combined liver product. Then the immune stabilization, we have a product called Histaid, uh, which is quercetin, luteolin, and DIM, and that's stabilizing immune reactivity. And uh, that could be on its own if you're really prone to mast cell activation and food reactivity, or it's also in this liver sauce that's part of this push catch. And uh, then uh, lipoic acid, you can get either in the liver sauce or with the vitamin C or lipoate, and that's really winding up a tissue-level dumping of the toxins. And uh, the milk thistle or psilomerin can be taken alone, or it's in, uh, or it's in the liver sauce. And so all those things are together in that liver sauce. Uh, and phospholipoline you can have alone as pure PC. Uh, and if you're really just trying to open up liver before you do systemic detoxification, you can take bitters and PC and couple it to the binder called Ultra Binder. Ultra Binder has a blend of charcoal, uh, zeolite, kaidazan, our proprietary metal binder, IMD, and acacia gum and aloe to soothe the GI tract. So the push catch, you take the liver sauce with or without add-ons and That'll mobilize all this stuff and dump it with the liver, uh, dump it with the bile. And then a half hour later, you take uh, the ultra binder, and that'll catch it all. And then a half hour later after that, you can eat or don't eat if you're intermittent fasting. In fact, if you couple this to intermittent fasting, you're going to get more of the cardiometabolic benefits. You'll start getting more insulin sensitization. You'll clear out fatty liver. Uh, you'll start uh, you know, mobilizing glycogen, mobilizing fat stores, and that'll be part of your detoxification as well. Uh, and then add-ons to that, when you take the liver sauce, if you're trying to round up metals or, or mold toxins, then you'll add on glutathione. We have a liposomal glutathione. You take that at the same time as the liver sauce. And one of my favorite add-ons is CBD, especially the full-spectrum CBD. The CBD brings down neuroinflammation. So it quickly corrects your glutamate GABA balance, which corrects your autonomics, which allows you to have more of a parasympathetic state, which allows you to detox. In fact, when we started using that with the autistic kids, oh my God, we could go so deep into detox protocols without them hyperreacting. And so that uh, calming the brain and then stimulating all of this liver activity was a great, great combo. Yeah, I love that. I took CBD last night. I think it's a great way to stimulate oh, yeah. the endocannabinoid system to enhance detoxification and re reduces stress also, which which helps. Yeah, so CBD works. Uh, I call it end, uh, neuroendoimmune poise. Poise means balance. Neuro is your neurotransmitter, and it's very well known for that. But it's known as being a uh, inflammation quencher too. That's the immune part, and it's. Uh, on the immune cells, there's uh, cannabinoid receptors, and it acts as sort of a dimmer switch when they're all fired up and they're like, where's the fight? Where's the fight? But there's no fight, you know, and, and they're winding up the inflammation, and so it's dimming that down. So it's working at a neurological level. It's working at an immunological level to dim that down too, and even at a hormonal level. Uh, and in fact, the, the organ, uh, which I don't have, uh, it, it, that has the greatest density of cannabinoid receptors is the uterus and so as we move in farther we'll find more of its hormone balancing and in the uterus it's uh the cannabinoid receptors are interacting with estrogens to prepare the lining of the uterus for implantation it's that fundamental and so this this balancing aspect of cbd uh is so crucial because if nothing if there's anything to describe our problems now they're imbalanced problems. Yes, yeah, and I think a lot of people have trouble making bile, especially women as they get older. Uh, people just have you know, stress and a lot of different things that reduce bile flow. A lot of people don't like bitter foods. They don't have bitter foods in their diet. And I love that your Bitter X has not only bitter uh, herbs, but it has the liposomes. It's in a liposomal formula, the phosphatidylcholine, the PC you talked right. about, which is a raw building block to make bile. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, 
Uh, so it's part of the, the bioflow, but what's also in the bitter X is, remember I mentioned the use of myrrh. And so myrrh is used all throughout Ayurveda in all the gynecological formulas because it's great at pushing out stagnation, stagnated blood. So pushing stagnated blood out of the uterus. But it's also great at pushing stagnated bile out of the liver. And for women, the, the gallbladder and the bile flow is a bigger problem than for men. Now, why is that? Because estrogen blocks that bile flow. Estrogen dominance immediately locks that up. And estrogen dominance creates glutamate dominance in the brain, which is putting you into sympathetic. That's why estrogen dominance creates anxiety and irritability. So what's the antidote to that? It's progesterone, right? And what does progesterone work on? It works on the GABA receptors and the parasympathetic side. That's why progesterone makes us so chill. In fact, I have a nanoparticle progesterone that my wife makes me take sometime when I'm being <laughs> an asshole. And, and it's amazing at opening up the liver too. And so that's how it works. And if you taste it, the taste of it is Bitter progesterone is incredibly bitter. If you ever have a progesterone tablet, chew it up and you're like, oh my God, it's a bitter. And so that's how the, the whole thing works together. And what is the product called that's a liposomal progesterone? Well, it's not out yet because I'm not sure that I'm legally allowed to sell liposomal progesterone. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it might end up being a topical. I'm trying to get a, you know, a lawyer to find something in the law where I can, uh, where I can sell this nanoprogesterone because it's uh, wonder. I can yeah. do the EDTA. We're going to have a hormone line come out in Q1 and the nano EDTA partitions into testosterone and estrogen very, very quickly, much more than when you eat uh, EDTA. And so in our testing, we can fill up women, you know, perimenopausal and menopausal women's buckets of testosterone and estrogen with just the DHEA. Uh, but, you know, the progesterone is a little bit harder to do because it's upstream from DHEA. Uh, and so if I could just get a little progesterone in there, but it's been a wonderful product uh, in the internal world yes. of Quicksilver here. <laughs> I agree. And so let's talk a little bit about metals tests. Yeah. And so uh, let's talk about the best heavy metals test. You know, you've developed some metals tests yourself. And I want to talk about your blood heavy metals test where I know you have your mercury tri-test. But let's talk about the one where you have, you're testing multiple metals so that people can get like a picture of what their metal load is. Right, right. So the mercury tri-test is the blood, hair, and urine separating different forms. You've got both forms in the urine. You've got inner, I'm sorry, you've got both forms in the blood, inorganic in the urine, methyl mercury in the hair. And you're relating hair and urine to the blood to look at those excretion patterns. Then the blood metals test, you've got nutrient metals and toxic metals. So your nutrient metals are, are, are crucial. You know, this is calcium and magnesium, copper and zinc. And you're looking at ratios of those. What's your copper to zinc ratio? That's a big determinant of toxicity of other metals. Uh, calcium magnesium ratio, that's a big determinant of inflammatory states. Then you've got uh, uh, the metals that are cofactors in detoxification, like selenium, cobalt, uh, manganese, uh, uh, lithium. Lithium is a big one for B vitamin transport, so you've got all of those and chromium in there. And then in the toxic metals, you're looking at, of course, the, the standard uh, uh, big four, the uh, arsenic, cadmium, mercury, and lead. But there, the mercury is not speciated, so it's a little confusing. That's just, you only use that if they're eating a lot of fish. Uh, and then you've got a couple others. You've got silver, which silver is used as antimicrobial therapy, but if you get too much, it starts to become a little toxic. Uh, strontium. Strontium is uh, put into a lot of bone supplements, and in some of the longitudinal studies, they found that women taking bone supplements with strontium were having neurological problems, and so that can get to a toxic level. Uh, so you have to, and then we have antimony in there as well. Antimony is in a lot of electronics and flame retardants, and it's a similar sulfhydryl reactive metal to cadmium, arsenic, and mercury. It's just a little bit less toxic, but if that gets to very high levels, that's problem two. And so what are the levels of all of these? How many are high? 
what's the copper-zinc ratio? Because copper, when it's toxic, is synergistically toxic with your heavy metals. And so you looked at, at that all as a, as a metals map. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize, uh, like, for instance, I had antimony in my, sh- my water mm. in my old home that I was living ah. in. And uh, I have a lot of clients that are very, very, very strontium toxic for various reasons. Some, yeah. some live next to a nuclear plant. One was like a nuclear physicist that was very strontium toxic. Jesus. From living near a, working in a nuclear plant. Um, but anyway, so there's lots of different ways we can get all of these metals. And it's so important to test because none of us are exempt. We all have heavy metals. They're in the air, food, and water. And you're just being smart if you test for these metals, see what metals that you have. And if you can link your symptoms and your health issues and your diagnoses to the metals that you have on your test so that you can yep. do something about it. You have awareness about the metals that you have. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. What, which ones are there? What symptoms do I have? Do those relate? And what's my history too? I mean, mercury is a big one that way where uh, like if you have a history of having amalgams, you can get them out. Your levels will come down, but there's this residual thing, and it's almost like a training to the system. Uh, it's training it to detox wrong because the amalgam, you swallow more mercury than you inhale, and you don't absorb that through your GI, but it poisons your GI, and it blocks your, your communication between the liver and GI, and you start overusing the kidneys. In fact, when you detox someone from, from mercury using these liver GI pads, you, you'll find that they stop having to pee five times at night and all of a sudden their their kidney pathways are normalized and it could be 10 years after they got their amalgams out and they still got this pattern going on and you have to reset it yeah yeah so not to mention all the all the you know the stuff like when you you detox them for mercury strong they'll have all these jaw things so that's a localized deposition that's not in equilibrium with the rest of you and when and and when you start pulling on the body a lot of this stuff comes out the back whoa i really feel that there i really feel that there and the net is really good for them to get rid of everything so some people have trouble detoxing. They try to do a detox and they get very sick from doing it. Can you tell us what, uh, I know this is a complex question, but just basically. No, but it's a great question. Yeah. Tell us what people are doing wrong, the mistakes people commonly make and like the order in which they need to do things to detox properly. Yeah. So if we go back to this liver pathway and, 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 coupling the the bile drainage to the detox it's the biggest problem that people have so what happens uh when the bile isn't moving and you start taking things that move toxins they build up in the liver and if you can't get it out with the bile there's a doorway out of the liver that goes back into the blood so you know, you're starting to move all these toxins or accumulating in the liver because the liver has a, a door that pulls things in from the blood and then it's not able to get it out through the bile and it opens another door up and dumps it all back into the blood. It's the liver back flush. It's like a backfire. And, and then whoosh, this whole accumulated load of toxins gets blown back into the blood. And where's it going to go? It's going to go to areas that are inflamed. Remember, those are the areas that are accumulator areas. And so places that are bad are going to get worse when you do that. And so that's the biggest problem that people have. So not having the bioflow and then the binders. And so uh, when you couple the bioflow and the binders to the detox, and you can start, like if you're really sensitive, you can start with PC and, and bitters and the binder to get that path harmonized before you add on things like lipoic that, that wind it up. Now, even if you're doing all that and you're following some of our protocols, but it's just not going right, you probably have a chronic infection that's blocking this and you have to do some antimicrobial therapy. And even like tonight, uh, a couple hours, we're going to have a webinar uh, on our micromanager, which is a new uh, antimicrobial therapy. And, uh, and that same way that we do a push catch with the, the, you know, the bitters and the detox elements and then the binder. Now, when there's too much microbial load, 
because the microbial load is constantly pushing inflammatory buttons and blocking your efforts at detox. So now you've got a lower microbial load. And uh, we do that with antimicrobials and some anti-inflammatories at the same time. We'll take that and then couple that to uh, the binder because we've got bioflow elements in that. So there, instead of detox biobinder, we're kill biobinder. And so that's our approach to doing that. But like it's often people have come to us and, and they, they've done some Lyme testing, but everything was negative. But remember, Lyme testing is all based on immunological response to Lyme. So if your immune system can't respond, you get a lot of false negatives. Then they'll go, well, maybe it's mercury, and they'll test, and there's some there. They'll be like, all right, we'll do that. And then they go on our mercury protocols, which involve all this glutathione system upregulation, giving a lot of glutathione. And then by a month into it, they feel horrible. And they're like, what's going on? And you know, you'd be like, did you say you thought you had Lyme? And they're like, yeah. Like, go back and test it again. And they'll go back and test, and they're positive for Lyme. Because now their immune system, the glutathione's wound up the immune system, and it's reacting to the Lyme. And then they take a detour, they go into antimicrobial therapy, and start getting that under control, and then they come back and do some more detox. So now we're starting to link together the antimicrobial therapy while keeping detox pathways open and moving. And you'll see all the original Lyme guys, like Klinghart, were always trying to do detox and antimicrobials at the same time. And we think we're finding a pretty harmonious way to couple those together. And then as you get the microbe levels down, then you can stimulate a little bit more detoxification. But even like within the antimicrobials, like artemisinin, andrographis, these are really strong bitters and they're, they're moving bioflow at the same time that they're killing things. So we're going to use that and we're going we're gonna, uh, we're, we're gonna to make them work, couple that to bioflow, couple it to binders, and couple it to some things like CBD and curcumin that can control the inflammatory states that often wind up as you're killing things off. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so important because when people, so many people have infections that are ill and they uh, they have parasite poop and mold mycotoxins and all this yeah. stuff floating around the blood. Viral that, activity. Yeah, that is stuffing up your detox pathways when for many people they have problems with pooping and peeing and their kidney's not working and their liver's not working very well and they have compromised detox pathways as it is. And yeah, adding all and 100%. these- 100% you got to be pooping and being yes. so laxatives, <laughs> you know, laxatives and diuretics. You need that flow just going, 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 going. Cause you're dumping things into the flow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so let's talk about glutathione for a second. So are yeah. there any people uh, or a subset of the population that's not a candidate to take glutathione or liposomal glutathione and why? Uh, yes. And we don't know. <laughs> so, you know, there's always like you find these people where it's like freaking miracle for them. You know, it's fixing everything. And then these other people where it's like, I can't handle it. And, you know, and that's the case be, with every supplement, right? Like yeah, one, man, one man's panacea is another man's poison. Yeah, in, in general. But it like it really annoys you with glutathione because, you know, it's like should be this panacea. And, uh, and it's probably around sulfur metabolism and you can give them molybdenum and see if that helps. But sometimes it just... You know, it just doesn't seem to work. But once you get things flowing, you get the toxin load down, then often you can bring it in. Or it's a microbe issue, and you get some of these out of the way, then you can bring it in, and it'll bring you up to the higher level. There's been a long-standing sort of debate in the Lyme community when to bring in glutathione. And, you know, so Klinghart would say never when it's acute, but when they're in the recovery phase, then you can bring it in, and it really brings stuff up. And so, and I, I, follow that. I don't lead with glutathione in Lyme and bacterial uh, and uh, parasitic issues, but viral, I always bring glutathione in because uh, glutathione, when glutathione's low, interferon goes way down, which is your primary antiviral. And all these inflammatory, uh, these Th2 uh, you know, food reactivities and environmental reactivities go up. And so the glutathione flips that around. And in fact, in, in some of the herpes uh, cell culture studies, glutathione just like totally controls the, the scene there. In fact, you can put liposomal glutathione topically on, on a cold sore and that, that'll like slow it way, way down. 
And so it's like, when do you use it? And then there's cancer. Like people are worried about using it for cancer because cancer cells have little holes in their armor against uh, free radicals. And we're worried that that'll fill in those holes and make them less susceptible. Yet at the same time, glutathione's bringing up Th1 activity, which is uh, part of your immune system, which is killing the cancer. And so uh, it's probably the same thing, you know, when acute, no. And then when recovering, yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you so much for that explanation. Cause it's just, I think a lot of people need to make some distinctions on what products to use and when, and uh, ideally detox. So let's talk about your thoughts on the IV chelation and the, the one trick pony doctors out there that this is the only thing they're offering. And so let's talk about some of the pros and cons of DMSA and EDTA chelation. And um, so, and what are they missing offering this one service to aid detoxification? Because there's a lot of yeah. very uh, gentler, safer things mm -hmm. that people can do that they need to do, like lay a foundation to detox before they drop a nuclear bomb on their toxins. Absolutely, and as a preamble to that, uh, Neil Nathan, when he was at Gordon Medical Clinic in Santa Rosa, those had, guys had about 30 years of experience doing DMPS chelation, both IV and oral, some DMSA use. They knew what it looked like, and they knew how to, sup they knew how to support kidney and liver going through this. You know, these, these guys were good, uh, you know, good detox doctors, and they wanted to test our system out. And they tested out on a bunch of patients uh, and had other ones on their normal system. And they're used to seeing it. And they would test it with their challenge test and with our test. And they came to the conclusion. They said, yeah, your testing uh, tracks with the challenge testing. And your system is as strong or stronger than DMPS chelation and gets people feeling better faster. And that's because it supports the underlying problems. So you use our system to correct glutathione metabolism, bile uh, metabolism, liver metabolism, and then that's gonna get all these metals out. But if you wanna speed it up a little and you wanna overlay that by punctuating this system with some IV or like Huggins used to do, or my friend Todd Lapine, small doses of DMSA or, DMS, uh, or DMPS, then you can do that, but you have to get the underlying system working. You gotta get liver and kidney working, or you're just gonna dump a whole bunch of stuff down onto the kidneys and liver, and if they can't handle it, it's gonna blow them out. Now, some people have great results, like if their kidney and liver are okay, but there's just like, it's affecting their neurology so badly, and then you put some, you, you give them IV chelators, it lowers their blood level pretty quick, and they feel better. Uh, but a lot of people just go off the deep end when they do this. And so you got to start with our processes and our premises. And then if you want to overlay pharmaceuticals, you could do that. Yeah. And there's certainly some medical doctors that are doing IV chelation correctly and doing low doses. And we're not, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Some doctors are doing oh. a great job and it's needed. It's life-saving for some people. They have mm -hmm. really high levels. Yeah life-threatening levels. Um, but, but you need some... that day-to-day -to -day too. You need that every day. What are you doing every day? Yes. Yeah. It's not just once a month or once a week yeah. chelation. It's daily detox you need to be doing. And so also IV chelation can damage the kidneys as well oh, if it's not cool. done correctly. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, Joe Mercola talks a lot about that. I, you know, he seems to have his kidneys uh, more under control now, but you know, the way Joe works, he learns about something and he just dives right in. And when Klinghart taught him about DMPS, he just dove in and he started just jacking himself with DMPS. And he, he had very severe damage to the kidneys. I don't want to be where he was then, uh, but, but he's doing a lot better. And now we're in this age of regenerative medicine, all these stem cells and exosomes and stuff. You know, he, I just saw him last weekend. He looks great. Uh, but he attributes that all to the DMPS. And I went through a lot. I was taking DMSA and man, my kidneys were in rough shape and nothing was coming out. So I just keep taking more. It's taken me a long time to really regenerate that function. Uh, but they're doing great now. 
Yeah, great. And so let's talk a little bit about where the listeners can learn more about you, uh, the work that you do, and your Quicksilver line of detox supplements. Yeah, so the website, Quicksilver Scientific, that's the core. Uh, you can get an account as a practitioner. You can get an account as a, uh, as a consumer. Uh, and there's a lot of information, there's a lot of education there, but then there's a whole repository of all my past webinars on the Quicksilver Scientific YouTube page. So you go to YouTube and in their bar, you know, uh, search Quicksilver Scientific page and that'll have, you know, 20 to 30 webinars, hour to an hour and a half each, plus all of the little micro videos on all the different products. On our website, on the shopping page, each product has a little two-minute vignette just giving you the quick skinny on that. Uh, and there'll be a lot of uh, videos linked in there on how delivery systems work because that's the key to why our stuff works is these liposomes and lipid nanoparticles doing stuff that traditional supplementation cannot even touch. Like our Keto Before 6, that's a cardiometabolic formula with this cute name on being able to be keto all day and then go out at night and eat carbs again and then do it again the next day. Because you take it, and these are things, berberine, quercetin, resveratrol, people have taken them all before, but you absorb them so fast and in such a high dose that it flips your cells into ketosis in an hour and a half to two hours. And that's only possible with these delivery systems. So we've thought through how all the, how all the biochemistry works, then we've coupled them to these radical delivery systems. Yeah, and I love that because it doesn't matter what you supplement with, it only matters what you absorb. And so that's the key in supplements is the the new these new liposomal delivery systems. And there's other advanced ones coming out, I mean, years and years down the road, but I've heard of a lot of different delivery systems and it's a, a really a game changer for the supplement totally. industry. It's, I'm, I'm moving everything towards a liposomal delivery if it's available and, and you know, for, for the right product. So, yeah, and like every new technology, there's a, a you know, a, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't get into this so much if it wasn't so drastic, but from quality to junk is a vast scale. And there's not a lot of people playing on a pharmaceutical level of quality with liposomes and, and nanoparticles. So there's a lot of just jump on the bandwagon, call it liposomal, this and that. And quality is a huge thing. And we have a lot of education on that. And how to just recognize, I mean, your liposome should be transparent, really, because uh, it's size, particle size based where you get those absorptions. So really look for quality. Don't be afraid to pay more because, all right, you pay twice as much for this, but it gets you five, 10, 300 times more absorption depending upon what the different compound is. And, you know, it's just, it's a technology. It's really expensive ingredients to do it. It's going to cost more. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dr. Shade, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love your supplements. I take them personally. I recommend them when I'm detoxing clients and our practitioners are detoxing people. So thanks so much for coming on the show. I so appreciate it. Would love for you to come back on again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Wendy. I'm sure I'll see you again here. Okay, fantastic. And everyone, thanks for tuning into the Myers Detox Podcast, where we talk everything related to detoxification, answer all your questions so you can do it right and do it properly. So thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you guys next week. Mm -hmm.